Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding, and you're listening to Discover Someone Remarkable, conversations worth sharing. Join me as I interview passionate founders and industry experts, people who think differently, challenge the status quo, and are building a legacy. People who I consider truly remarkable. In today's episode, I interview Laura Wellington, a Welsh designer based in Leeds in the UK. Laura is a placemaker, creative thinker, product and interior designer, positive disruptor, and the co-founder of Duke Studios, Duke Makes, and Sheaf Street. Laura is also the curator of In Good Company Leeds, a street art initiative seeking to shape Leeds' future as a destination city. Forced to temporarily shut their co-working space, cafe, bar, and music venue, Laura launched a new initiative through In Good Company called Posters for the People to spread positivity and show support for NHS and frontline workers. She reveals how the campaign has snowballed from street posters to billboards to beer to attracting support from rock and roll royalty. Laura shares how she switches between roles across her eight different businesses, her love of product and interior design, and discusses having one of her products listed as one of the most iconic habitat designs in the last 50 years. I had so much fun talking with Laura. Her passion for creating a positive change and building local communities is inspiring, and I'm excited to share this conversation. Just a warning, this episode features some colourful language. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Laura. Thank you for having me. So we always start these things with the same question. What's your favourite brand and why? So this, it changes for me. I'm not really a kind of like um, favourite, always stick with something all the time, but I tend to pick up on different things in different moments. And recently my most favourite or interesting brand, which I've come across, is a jeans company called Hyatt. And I think it's pronounced Hyatt, H-I-U-T. And they are a, um, a jeans company in Cardigan, which is a really small village in South Wales. And I went to visit there recently. And, um, and it's just really interesting. So basically this little village used to be full. It was where the big chains, I have to remember that um, uh, this is an international podcast. So basically there's a... <laughs> big store, a store called Marks and Spencers, which is really famous yep. in the United Kingdom. And they um, went to, um, and Marks and Spencers got all of its jeans made in this little village. Um, and then eventually, once, um, once they changed to basically Chinese uh, manufacture, this whole, um, whole village lost all of its jobs. Right. And there's, so there's loads of these kind of master, uh, they're, they're called, what are they, they're called uh, master, they're basically they're master jeans makers. And the whole, so I think it was like four generations or five generations of jeans creators in this village. And then Hyatt um, went, they used to have another brand uh, which they'd sold. And when they sold that brand, which um, they sold it to Levi's, they made Levi's promise that they would keep all of the pre, um, the manufacturing in Cardigan and they didn't. And so then they went back again and have created this second, uh, another company called Hyatt. And, but they're sustainable jeans. They're jeans that don't get washed. Uh, wow. You can send them back to them. Um, and, but they're, just even signing up for their newsletter, their newsletter is beautiful. Their tone of voice, their, um, 
just everything. It's from the same people who do the do lectures. Okay. Um, do books. Um, so, yeah, really, really cool. I'm just on their homepage right now, and they've yeah. got um the main banners got do one thing well, which I absolutely yeah. love. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. It's I mean it's beautifully designed. <laughs> well, we can get we can get yeah. to that. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it looks amazing. I'll make sure I put a link to it in yeah. the um, show notes. They're really, really cool. It was, they just, I just, yeah, I just loved everything about the way that they, when we went, I would cheekily popped into the factory and they showed us around. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, yeah, it was really, really nice. The jeans aren't cheap, but um, I think because you can send them back and get them repaired and, and that's the whole point. They're, they're made well. Yeah. And that's so, awesome. yeah. I think there'll be a few people checking them out. Um, one of the guys I work with loves stuff like that. So he'll be, um, I reckon yeah. after hearing this, he'll be putting an order through. Look, you run a, a creative co-working studio and a bar and cafe. Um, how have you had to pivot and adjust due to COVID-19? So basically, yeah, we have a co-working space which has 75 businesses who reside with us. And then we have a bar, the cafe, and we have a 250 capacity music venue uh, we also have a place called duke makes um so all of our businesses are basically public facing open um so wow. we've had to pivot isn't in the word is closed down and um right. so yeah so we um so yes yeah, so we've had to basically just kind of stop everything but obviously we're a team of 12 so we've taken the team back down to just james and i which is quite interesting just even trying to run um four separate uh, Instagram accounts is a nightmare. It's a full-time job in itself. Um, but we've kind of just pivoted in a way that we have. Um, so we've kind of stopped and then we've we've kind of gone back in ourselves and we are kind of doing all of the, we're fixing everything up, we're planning for the future, we're getting all of our stuff in order. But then also I personally completely pivoted because I, um, I quite like doing kind of project work. So I like doing kind of like reactionary projects. So things that are usually around creativity and culture and design thinking. And so I um, decided that I wanted to do something really positive at the beginning of this. So in the first week um, I created, I, I have a passion project called In Good Company, which is about bringing uh, big art um, to the city, which is kind of like taking over buildings with murals and um, and I decided that, um, I didn't decide on purpose. I was having a chat with a friend that runs a company called FYI and they have a big billboard, uh, on a prominent corner in Leeds. And I'd noticed that kind of everyone was, uh, thanking the NHS, but, uh, it was just where I always kind of, I'm a big thinker and I was worrying about people, just everybody really going out and doing their day to day, putting themselves at risk. And I said to Tom, could I, could we do a collaboration and could I take that billboard, those billboards and I'll get some artists and we'll do a big thank you, but not, you know, specifically just to the NHS, but to everybody that's going out and doing their day to day and, and keeping the country running. And so we were, I approached Mara Gmyaskoff, who is um, an amazing woman, amazing artist. And she um, said yes straight away. And we turned these four big billboards, six including the um side graphics around in 72 hours wow, and nice. it's big yeah really quick big bright colorful thank you that um to i uh, said to our superheroes it was kind of across it wasn't kind of specific um 
And so, yeah, so we did that and then we dropped it on Instagram and all the socials and it went absolutely bonkers. Um, and a lot of people saying, please, can you bring this to our city? Dazine picked it up. So it kind of got global press straight away. Um, off Festival got in touch and said they'd like to feature it in their book that they're doing this year. So that was kind of in the first two weeks. And I thought, oh, this project so is going to go crazy. <laughs> 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 and, um, and so, yeah, so then, but then I am someone that likes to push things. So I like to push, and again, I do not do one thing well. <laughs> I do lots of things always. That's how my brain works. And I... Um, I decided that I would try really hard to try and make this campaign a national campaign after that because everybody was asking to have it in their cities. So I went off and um, kind of uh, tried to hound basically all of the kind of big ad companies to take over billboards across the UK. And nobody really was going for it. Um, But in the process, I thought, right, okay, one billboard doesn't make a national story. If I can... I can maybe make a national story then the billboard companies will be on board um so then I took we approached in Leeds that we have these kind of poster drums which are for advertising local events and so we approached the company that has those pop art media and with FYI and pop art and Leeds City Council we then took over 150 sites in Leeds with all of the and I added six more artists to the roster and so then, um, yeah, I think that was in two weeks. We then, it was took a bit more time with more partners um, to get things organized. But then in the process of that, I also said to Tom, okay, well, why don't we um, create some banners and send these banners to kind of key places across the UK? And then other people will see them. And then in the process of that, we then, I then said, oh, we could do a banner shop and people could buy the art and people could put the art in their front gardens. And, and so that's what we did. And FYI turned a web shop around in four days, three days, four days. That's awesome. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then in the first week, we shipped to the UK, Canada, Italy, um, uh, USA. It was just bonkers. And since then, the project has snowballed. Um, and you know, this weekend, I went to go and see, um, uh, a, we made a beer with North Brewing Co. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> so I went to go and see that this weekend. And basically in the last eight weeks, um, it's just taken over my life, really. So these artists, they design posters and then has some of their work or their artwork been put onto these beer cans? Uh, So basically the artists, so there's eight artists within the the current um, group of posters um, and they're all kind of like positive messages. So, you know, take care, essentially amazing. Uh, Thank you, you, our superheroes. Uh, One about about conversations making rainbows. Um, at the moment, we just have uh, Morag Myerskoff's um, work on the um, on the beer can, just because we had to focus and choose um, one just for this first run, because um, it, it 
it's quite it's quite interesting actually I've learned I've learned a lot about other people's business <laughs> um <laughs> in the last um uh in the last five, six weeks like and how everybody else operates so yes yeah, so it was just the our super our superheroes we love you um oh, it's really cool. bright and colorful um and so yes yeah, so just morags be morags designed for this one and then if it goes well then I was trying to convince John on Saturday that we might do more runs. But um, I think maybe we might. We just have to get everybody to buy all the beer and then they, they can do it. <laughs> and how's the beer? It is so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is like, honestly, like I've never, one, one of the, um, Chris, uh, where it's been helping us on the project, kind of documenting it all. And, and he came down with us. And I hate, I hate having my picture taken. I always feel a little bit like, rabbit in the headlights and he took this picture of me I put it on my Instagram on the weekend and I just looked like a kid in a sweet shop so excited <laughs> like bubbling around with this beer like oh my yeah. god this is so cool um yeah it, it's just a kind of light uh pale um session at IPA 4.5 so yeah it's really nice so when you started this yeah a couple of weeks ago you probably didn't expect it to turn into not at all yeah that's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> that is what we do. That's what I do, basically, and never just do one thing. Yeah, that's awesome. And so what will be next for this campaign or this initiative? Uh, so when will this recording go out? How many weeks have we got? Probably in two weeks. So we're end of May now, so uh, first two weeks of June. Okay, so I can, get, I can give you an exclusive then. Um, <laughs> basically, yeah, so next week, so this or this week, uh, we have got, um oh it's so exciting so when we um the so basically sally wood who is ronnie wood's ronnie wood's wife who got uh, she bought three banners for her house so we didn't contact them they just bought them and sally owns a um she owns a chocolate company and called Sweet Theatre. So the artwork is, a selection of the artwork is going on to chocolate bars. So we're going to have a chocolate bar, which will be amazing. And then also Ronnie Wood, who um, I'm not, for those that don't know, is uh, part of the Rolling Stones. Wow. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just Googling them now. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, um, and so he is obviously quite a big person. And yes. Ro- yeah, Ronnie last, no, had turned a piece of art, um, that he'd auctioned at Bonhams and basically we were like, well, why don't we do a collaboration and do a kind of like a special edition version of the banner and put Arnie, uh, Ronnie's work onto the banner. So by the time this is out, we will have launched a special edition Ronnie Wood in good company banner. That's amazing. And then also what we're going to do, and obviously the kind of story in that is that Ronnie was a music, obviously in this huge band, but then now he's an artist. And I honestly do believe that anybody can be an art and a, an artist. And I think that um, it doesn't matter what your style or your creativity is. You know, anyone can make and create. So at the same time, we're going to launch a blank banner, which has the Inga Company banner uh, kind of... Um, the thing that across the bottom and then a blank banner which then is sold with markers so that anybody can write their own thank you and then I think fingers I'm I kind of need the project to end at some point (laughs) (laughs) or get someone else to start championing 
<laughs> because obviously I'm not being paid for it. And I do um, technically, uh, I'm the founder of five other businesses and I need to yeah. get back to them at some point. Um, so, well, not that, I'm, not that I'm not. I need to basically make more because um, I'm doing everything at the moment. Um, yeah. So I need to, um, yeah, try and get back. I think basically I've got no life at the moment. <laughs> All I'm doing is working, and I think at some point I might spontaneously combust. So, um, yeah, I need to get some a leisure time back at some point. Because, yeah, I was going to ask how you cope and sort of stay focused with with so much around, you know, going on and so yeah. much uncertainty. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, we just do everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think because I've been used to doing everything, I think I'm like a natural hustler. So. I think from being really little um, was always doing, and I'm not very good at staying focused on one thing. So I'm better at doing kind of things in small chunks. So just an hour here or an hour there. And, and actually I'm better at switching parts of my brain. I think because when I switch to something else, the other part of my brain that's subconsciously thinking is problem solving on the other things so it feels like um, it's good that it's good for me to switch between stuff. But also with us, because somebody asked me this question the other day about how how do I change my hats, basically? Because essentially, I have like sort of um, a few different hats. So I have obviously Duke Studios, which is co-working, Chief Street, which is the bar, cafe, and the venue. Duke Mix, which is a creator space, which is kind of digital fabrication lab. Then I also have In Good Company. We were due to be starting something else as well. I do quite a lot of kind of city work advocating for digital tech, uh, independent businesses, music scene. And then I um, have a commercial interior design business. So I kind of run and I'm doing a house renovation. So there's like, <laughs> that's kind of eight things. <laughs> yeah. Which is just bonkers, really. <laughs> When you think about it like that, I try to not list it too often. It makes yeah, it, yeah, it makes me anxious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, they all have the same. They're all businesses with purpose. Everything that we do is without people. We have a business motto of um, people first, business second. Everything is about creativity and problem solving. Um, and so it's not necessarily about... It's just it, everything has the same ethos, kind of mission and values. It's just yeah. more that things have different brands. Um, yes. Yeah, they all have the same voice, really. That's um, James and I, and the same um, want to just do better in the world and to make things better for our city um, and for the people who either work or play in it or live in it. So, um, so yes, it's not too hard, really, to switch too much and also I think which I think this project has shown is that for me I, I always used to say well to be fair I don't think I'll not say it uh, it's kind of more about work-life integration rather than work-life balance yeah completely because, and because James and I because we run everything apart in good company is just a solo project for me but everything else is James and I and we're also um, partners we've been together for 13 years so we basically live and live in well we uh, yeah we've been <laughs> up until recently we've been together 24 hours for the last 
however many years. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so it's um, it isn't a, it isn't a case of it being any. Thing. It's just that everything is together as one, really. We do have to be really mindful about um, talking about, like, business as soon as we wake up or, yeah, we have to really check in with ourselves and things like that. And do you guys set sort of boundaries or you set, like, rules around that in terms of trying to, uh, you know, not that you keep work at work or... Yeah. Keep, you know, <laughs> but because, as you said, it, it doesn't work like that. But um, no. Do you have rules around it to, to try to stop? Yeah, we tried to have rules for a little while. So we tried to, so basically last year, um, we lost, uh, no, the year before last, we lost our best friend who died of bowel cancer really quite young. And it massively rocked me. And so, um, and it did rock James, but he's the kind of like, um, uh, James is like a fixer and a protector. And a, so he kind of like, just work through it whereas I kind of crumbled for a bit and so I took a bit of time um I called it a tactical recharge and I came back to the house and did the reno- I did the house renovation but worked from home and during that time that was quite interesting because basically what had happened was it was the first time ever when we'd not been together for all the time and also I kind of actually stopped working on Duke for a bit which was really interesting not that I stopped working but I wasn't going there physically every day and uh, James was but it was kind of a bit of a moment really in our relationship where do you know I don't have kids but I hear when people say oh you know when the kids grow up and then the the, the people who um the, the parents then have to realize who they are without those kids and it was a bit of that time for James and I, really, when we didn't have the focus of Duke being our main, both of our main focus every day. We had to relearn who we were as a relationship. So it actually came as a as a really good time. But it was a good time for us to put some of those um, kind of things in place to say, okay, we don't, because James is terrible. He would like talk to me at like post, if anyone talks to me about work, like post 10 o'clock, I'm like, I don't sleep. Yeah. So we've got like, we don't talk about work post 10 and 9 o'clock, really. We try not to talk about work first thing in the morning. <laughs> um, but other than that, and also in, in, obviously in the last eight weeks, all everything's gone out the window. Yeah. Um, and so I think also the other part of it is, is just, you know, it is all of the things that we do are who we are. <laughs> And also, I think during lockdown, we've learned that we can we can entertain each other. We can have fun and a laugh with that. So actually, I think lockdown has been brilliant for us because we've spent some really good quality time together. And also, yeah, and we're not had the pressure of running um, publicly accessible buildings, uh, which is something which you don't really realise that you have, is that when you have a bar you are always conscious of if there's a, um, a, you know, a big 300 or 400 capacity event happening on a Friday, Saturday night, that you have that kind of underlying anxiety that everyone's safe, that, you know, do you know all those kind of things? Yeah, completely. Well, it'd be always on the back of your mind because you're, yeah. you know, the buck stops with you. Exactly, with us, definitely. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so um, so, yeah, so we've kind of learned, yeah, lots of new things and, 
it's ever changing. I think, um, I think if you just set fixed, nothing is ever the same, is it really? And I think if you kind of say, right, this is the rules and we must always stick by this. I think that sometimes isn't always the healthiest way of doing things, but I think it's more learning to communicate um, is the best thing. James recently started to go to, he had some counselling and and that was us then learning how to to communicate properly with each other, which has been amazing. Like I can't wait to get out of the back end of this and I'm going to go for some too because... Um, like everything in life is just communication really isn't it yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> everything from work yeah. through to yeah so um and I think it's that kind of thing of saying right don't talk to me right now in this minute about business or don't and not being offended really as well yeah yeah it's amazing like how you know you can think or make assumptions on things or pretend you understand what someone's thinking and then you can you know work yourself up into a state over exactly. you know over someone's reaction or lack of reaction yeah and then really it's it's just a breakdown in communication and perhaps if you, were open, you wouldn't get to that state of um yeah sort of frustration yeah so you were saying before like you know people ask you how you switch between or switch between the different hats of that is there any you know do you block out your days at all on different projects or do you do you block out time on different projects or it really is like a state of flow where you just sort of move between as things sort of become priority so it depends. In the real world, usually, so you, with the In Good Company, uh, with the um, posters for the people, that's literally just taken over my life for the last six weeks. So I've kind of been working 8am to 1am 1, 1 and like, um, it's been like really hard to kind of keep up with that snowball. But normally what I would do is I would normally, um, so for instance, when I have commercial interior design clients, I block out like half a day or a day and I kind of manage my time that way with um I am not very good at <laughs> trying to put all these rules in place so when we first got in contact and I was like I'm not I don't have meetings I've got a new rule I don't have meetings before 1 p.m now because this is what I'm doing and then you're like oh but I'm in Australia and I was like oh shit yeah um, <laughs> So, okay, so I'll break that rule. And then now uh, that rule. Look, I was willing to do the call at, you know, 10 p.m. <laughs> Australian time. I had to. Um, but I, I was going to check if we could do it earlier. <laughs> so basically that rule's been broken now. I do yeah. try really hard to kind of make these things, but I just don't think I'm supposed to be – I just don't think my life's supposed to have any kind of order. I think um, I, I do flip – I, and I, I can switch between them. Um, James makes a lot of lists. Um, and <laughs> yep. uh, when, uh, when we looked the other day, even just the list for doing the re- repairs at Sheaf and Duke while it's closed has 268 things on it. Wow. Not just, and that's not because it's the place is a mess. It's because that is our level of detail. Yeah. Um, and... Or we want to make things better or do new things. Um, but I just tend to see, I don't really plan my week. I do kind of plan if I know I've got deadlines. Deadlines usually make me plan. But other than that, I'm kind of a bit of a, my mum's a hippie. I just float around, <laughs> just cracking on, making things happen. But yeah. I am like a last minute deadline person basically also. 
So for the current campaign posters for the people, do you are you setting a time or not a time limit, but like an end date for that? You said you kind of need it. Well, to- like, yeah, that's the trouble is that, and I said this to my friend the other day. I was like, right, I'm gonna just I'm gonna do this poster with Ronnie Wood, then I'm gonna release the blank ones, the chocolate bar, and then I'm kind of done. And she was like, not a freaking chance. She was like, this project is just going to go mental now. <laughs> and so, because <laughs> this is, the, we have like, sta- like, like, like people say, this, this is just like a standard Wellington project. Yeah. Um, yeah, like just things go mental. So I'm kind of saying, I'm not going to be doing any new, I'm not going to, well, I'm saying now. Um, I'm not going to purposefully go and try and find extra things. Whereas in the last six weeks I've been going, we could do this. Why don't we do this? I'll go and find this person. I'll do that. So I'm not going to actively go and find things. <laughs> yeah. And is it raising, is it raising money for a certain charity? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the post to the people, so the banners, um, is raising money for, the eight artists choice of charities so they're like kind of smaller charities there's quite a big thing here um a lot of people kind of saying um the nhs isn't a charity and also there's a lot of people were saying that there's a lot of the smaller charities being missed because of people kind of raising money for bigger charities so we decided in that part of the project that we wanted the eight artists to choose their art their um, specific charities and then for the beer, I've chosen the charities because I think that um, at the end of this, we are going to have a huge mental health crisis. I think um, either directors of companies have had to fail or all their teams are going to be completely burned out and screwed because they've been doing everything or people have been sitting at home thinking too much or frontline workers have burned them. So I just think there's going to be so many people, all people whose families have died in this time and they've not been able to go to funerals or grieve properly. Or I just think there's going to be huge, huge, huge mental health problems in the next um, six months. So we decided that the two charities for the beer would be Blurt It Out Foundation, which is quite a small uh, mental health charity, and then Mind, which is quite a big one in, in the UK. Well, hopefully people like buy a hell of a lot of beer. Well, hopefully, yeah, of exactly. Your beer, not just any yeah, beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't buy other yeah. beer, just this one. Yeah, yeah, um, just that one beer. Yeah. So, Laurie, you run a co-working space, Duke Studios, and yeah. you have for almost a decade or over a decade now. God, don't say it like that. That makes me feel old. <laughs> but it's something that I'd love to know more about because when I was doing some research, I saw you were awarded the best co-working space yeah, we've won awards for best co-working space in the UK. Um, we've kind of been headlined as the best co-working space in the world, um, kind of across kind of blog features and web articles and things. That's awesome. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you. And so what's the secret to running a space <laughs> that gets awarded the best co-working space in the UK? Yeah. So it's funny, isn't it? Because it, we kind of, um, we don't really see those, it, the accolades as um it's nice it's really nice to, for somebody to say you have been chosen as this <laughs> it's kind of also sometimes a bit but bs so i'm trying it to doesn't pay less. the bills <laughs> it well it doesn't really pay the bills massively you do have to do a lot of other things co-working is not a huge money maker which is we didn't set out to make money we set out to 
make our own jobs and have a space where we could run out because we were running our, our own businesses. So we didn't set out to go, okay, we're going to be a co-working space. So technically we are, um, even though we are technically landlords, we are our target market. And so I think the reason why we've done so well and, um, and kept going for 10 years is that we have soul and it's a genuine, it's, we scratched our own itch. We needed our own space. Um, we first of all kind of started with a group of friends. We've never had any kind of traditional finance. It was all been kind of crowdfunded and through kind of friends and family as loans and, and paid back with higher in- rates of interest than they would have had with their um, kind of banks and things. And we're always kind of looking out for people. It's not just about selling square feet or filling space. It's genuinely about looking after and growing and nurturing people. It must be good to find people because you just have to find people like you guys or like-minded people. (laughs) Yeah. So you understand the target audience quite well. If it's, um, you know, it starts off being something that really, like you said, scratches your own itch. Yeah, which is a gross way of saying it. That's all right. um, Yeah, but it's also that thing of when you create a community, which is what we are doing, is you're creating community. um, You have to be really, so there's an application process. Um, We have had a waiting list since the beginning of Duke um, because of that kind of, you know, we we want to make sure that it's the people who are, they are really good quality. So if anything, because we also kind of act a bit like an agency. So people come, we don't take any fees, but people come to us and say, I need this, an, uh, a web developer, I need a, um, uh, an interior designer, I need a, and then we kind of like put that out to the residents. And oh, also, awesome. yeah, so we also wanted to ensure that any work that was coming out of Duke Studios that we were recommending was like the best. Um, we also um, kind of, um, we really, we have this kind of formula um, for how to, how does somebody get in? A lot of it kind of goes on your gut feeling. So when you meet someone, knowing whether they'll fit with the rest of the people that are in the community. Um, a lot of it is about ensuring the kind of ecosystem is there. So you have companies of different stages. Uh, you don't have... 20 graphic designers. So there's there's like loads of different things that go into the um, the formula of how you can get into Duke Studios. And it works in the whole 10 years we've only ever had, and it was in the very, very beginning, one person um, that was wrong. And um, we realized at that point when that one person was wrong, that one person can ruin the whole vibe. Yeah, wow. Um, so yeah, so we've been really, we've done really well actually to keep that, um, in the last 10 years. You said about 75 businesses, is that right? Yeah. 110 people, um, which collectively, yeah. And collectively we turn over as all of us, 6 million, um, pounds into the local economy. That's awesome. Each year. Yeah. Well, they say communities can sort of thrive up to 150 people so i think the 110 i think martin yeah. bradwell talks about that in uh, yeah. one of his books but 110 must be a, a sweet spot is, have you got a limit on so is 75 is that sort of capacity uh yeah so that's kind of capacity yeah. um and 
And there's a lot of conversations now at the moment about kind of co-working having a spike after this. And um, But I think that we couldn't make any more space in the current building which we're in. I think that we could go and take another building and make another thing, but I don't think that we would do it in the same... So at the moment, Duke Studios is specifically just for creative industries. And when I say creative, I don't mean... uh, I mean creators, so that kind of falls into kind of tech as well as... um, Yeah, as well as people. It's not kind of strictly just people who are making. And it also isn't isn't people who are physically making either. It's all digital. Um, and so I think, I don't know, we've had this question. I was really interested when I read your questions that you put that down because we have been asked that question a lot recently. Um, but we just have to kind of play it by here and see it, see what happens. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Am I, I'm, uh, it makes me feel a bit anxious about opening another... Um, another co-working space really because yeah, I also think when you put your eggs all in one which has been a real um, lesson I think in all of this is that when you put your eggs all in one basket yeah the bottom falls out of it you're screwed really <laughs> yeah, so, yeah I mean, it's it's something that no one would have predicted and I mean it's no. like you've sort of been dealt a cruel hand in the sense of yeah you know co-working space bar, bar cafe yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. music venue like they're all things yeah. that yeah. certainly not sort of pandemic proof no but what i mean a few of the things that you do probably are and that's probably more the products the interior design yeah. and jewelry i mean how did you get into those so basically i am originally a maker so if i applied to get into duke studios now i wouldn't actually get in which is <laughs> why um, not because yeah cause because i'm too- making Okay. And I make a mess and I make noise. And, um, <laughs> um, yeah. You wouldn't make an exception for yourself? No, I'm not allowed. <laughs> like, I would upset the community, basically. Um, so at the moment, I have a studio in my house. Uh, so I have the attic. Um, so I just work from here when I, when I want to make physical things. But also we're creating Duke Makes, which is this creator space, which has kind of 3D printers and CNC and laser cutter stuff. I'll be able to go there and, and, and do my thing. Um, but yeah, so I um, originally, so when I went to back in, I graduated out of design school in 2008. Um, I did, I went to foundation um, in 2003. So foundation is, foundation art and design is a bit where you kind of go and try everything. And I thought I was going, it's quite interesting. Well, to be fair, I was always creative. So um, my mum is very creative. Um, she was a kind of an artist, really an amazing illustrator. She would always make with us. And then, but in school, I was a bugger. So I basically was so naughty, <laughs> um, really, really naughty. <laughs> and um, I was just had no attention span. I wouldn't listen. And I think now when I look at my traits is. I couldn't like focus on that hour of set of lesson. Like I'm, I'm kind of like a half an hour, 40 minutes person. And, um, and so I've kind of got like bare minimum GCSEs. I've got no A levels. 
and I was hanging around with some really like naughty people and um just yeah as Swansea was a small town so I was from Wales so really I'm I was pretty streetwise and I had um I've got a beautiful auntie and who lives in the Llangeneth in the Gower coast and um my hippie mum was just like do not know what to do with her and my auntie said she rang the foundation art and design course and said will you if, if I can get her to make a portfolio will you interview her she hasn't got any A levels and so they um so they said yes and I never made and I wanted to, I thought because my mum and my dad ran a print company when I was little and my mum was a graphic designer and I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer and was hell bent that that's what I was going to do and then when I went and did the foundation course <laughs> I can remember making, um, they made you do a sketchbook of um, A to Z. So you had to design a letter. And basically my sketchbook was so, I can remember making the A out of two forks and a, a thing. And, and my spe- my sketchbook was so 3D that it couldn't close. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the, and Kath Cluett, who I'm still friends with now, one of the tutors that she was like, you need to do 3D. Like you, you are not a graphic designer. Yeah. And um, so then she pushed me into 3D and I kind of started doing kind of lighting design more towards my foundation. And then when I went to university in Leeds, again, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and I basically at that time was just so not, um focused at all so I chose Leeds as a university because it had a really good party scene and <laughs> I like I like the neon lights in the corridor of the university <laughs> that was how I was making my life choices back then um, and which is just funny and then and um and so yes then I went to design school uh Leeds Art, not Art University here and then I I chose a course which was um, interdisciplinary art and design. And that was, um, it was, they, they said that um, industry wanted a jack of all, not a master of one. And so basically it was doing a bit of everything, but it was, which I think in principle is actually a really good kind of idea for a course, but it was run by fine art lecturers. So it was a bit too fine art for me. Um, but it did kind of teach me a lot of kind of switching skills. Um, and so, but then I finished that course after a year and then went to another university, but to be the eternal student, I went back to first year and, uh, and went and did specific design, product design. And then in the end of that, I then was a bit like, oh, I don't want to do design school anymore. This is boring. I'm going to um, do... I'll have one last jolly, so I'll go off and I'll do Erasmus. So I thought, yeah, like, design's not for me, whatever. Go and do Erasmus. I'll go and live in Finland for a bit. That'll be fun. Um, And then when I got to Finland, the way that they taught was so much more for me. So it was that kind of smaller bite sizes. And I think because it was Erasmus, it was kind of different for me. You tried and you did a lot of things you lived, ate and breathed design for the whole time. They were really strict. You were in uni from like 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. every day. It was much more kind of um, focused. And then it was after that that I came back 
and decided that I was going to do design. And I designed a, a light, um, which ended up um, being taken on by Habitat, which is quite a famous brand here. Um, Habitat is a... I'm looking at it now. It's amazing. I'll share it, yeah, in, the, um, I'll, I'll share it uh, in the post yeah, in the notes. And so then this light started selling all over the world, which was amazing. And I thought I was going to be so rich. <laughs> and I thought, like, this was me. I'd made it and I'd done it. And... And it was just crazy. Like it got listed in like the, in the Habitat 50 Years book as being one of the top hundred of their designs. And it was just incredible. But essentially, um, <laughs> when you make a light like that and they sell it for 250 euros, you think, uh, yeah, you're going to be loaded. But actually you only get £2.50 per light. So you get 5% of the manufacturing costs. Oh, no. And I stupidly signed a contract which was way more on their favour than mine, so that I can I can't ever pull out of that contract. Oh no! Um, only they can do some. So it's nice. I learned a lot of lessons, but basically, I'm, I'm a maker. I make things with my hands. I'm happy when I'm making. And but then when we set up Duke, Duke kind of took over our lives, and I didn't make for a really really long time. And we could because we were make. I was making because I was making Duke. We build everything in Duke, but I wasn't making anything for myself and um, or for other people. And so I think it was like three years into Duke, I kind of got back to making and I made this kind of little light called Mini Hula, which is a cardboard version of the bigger version, which all flat packed into its um, yeah, its own awesome. packaging. And that was super cute. And then, and, and then after that, I just realized that actually be, trying to create products for wholesale is a nightmare, especially when you're making things by hand. Yeah. And um, because it just doesn't, it does not work in terms of the time that it takes. And so from that point, I decided that I would just make for myself. And I, because Duke was obviously paying my wages, I didn't need to make to make my money. And if people wanted to buy them, then they could, but I wasn't going to put any kind of pressure on myself. Um, and I'm, so I'm a classic side hustler. So then um, I made, when we made, moved into Sheaf Street, I made these lights for the bar, which are called Totem. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And then, um, and then they went mental. Everybody wanted them. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for a bit. And then, and then the jewellery came very recently. We started doing a thing in Duke, which was a, uh, we did Duke fun days, where everybody in the team would get one day a month to have a fun day. And you could use the facilities in Duke to make and do things. Um, and I started making my jewellery. And the idea was, again, that you kind of, you are in work, but you're changing your brain. It's, and the, the rules were that um, it, you you could make but it couldn't be for commercial gain so you had to make just for the fun of making um and um I started practicing with the the material that I use um in that fun day and then again created these necklaces but the necklaces I I have a an Instagram for them at one point I they did go really well and so I thought oh, I should make their own shop but then I just thought oh, I just don't want to deal with another 
thing. And so basically the way that I do the necklaces is I only make kind of like three times a year. And I have these big bursts of, um, of making. So I usually make for about a week um, in any spare time that I have. And then I just put them on to um, in an Instagram sale shop. So you, they go up and then people say, I want that. And the first person to get it gets them. But it also means that I don't have to stick to a fixed, this is what this product looks like. Because a lot of my work kind of comes more from color, texture, pattern. And so it means that I get to make a little bit of art each time that I make a necklace. Yeah, that's um, cool. And it means, yeah. So then, um, and there's no pressure on me to then do it. I can do it whenever I want to do it, which is really nice. Do you find a better creative product comes from that when there's not, I guess, this pressure hanging over you to produce en yeah. masse? Yeah, I think so. I think like I prefer to work and I think I have learned that about myself. I think it's crazy, isn't it, that when we have to, when we are 18, decide what it is that we want to do for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah. I think like when I, I'm like now with this age, well, and this, that's why I chose my university and where I wanted to go out and party. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I realized well, look, it worked that. Out. Yeah, <laughs> but I realized that um, I'm much better on those kind of short, like the projects thing. So the reason why I love doing commercial interview design and designing for other people's offices is because I get to design the office or the bar or the cafe. And then I then have to project manage it. So it's more that um, other people then, um, they come in and they do the build for us or or it might be that, so there's one particular project I did um, for a dog cafe, um, which we designed all of the, the, the dog bowls and, and designed every tiny, tiny detail. So in having that project, having that kind of product background is really good for doing the commercial interior design because I can design each space as a unique thing. It's not just about buying stuff off the shelf. And so I think I've realized, I think everything that I've done in my life so far inputs into whatever it is that I do. But I also think working in short bursts of stuff is better for me. So I don't, so the, if I had to make those necklaces year in, year out, like every day, I would be bored of them in six months. But because I choose to make when I choose then I'm, I'm still interested by them. Yeah, that's great. And with the interior design, I only take on three projects a year. I don't do any more than that. So I'm not constantly doing interior design, but I, yeah, it's either two or three projects. So I kind of... Is that verbalized to clients that you only take three yeah. projects per year? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's kind of... Um, and again it means I get to be selective on who I work with and I don't do anything just for money. It has to be because I really want to do it. That's really interesting. I mean, and it's a really strong, not that it's a sales tool or anything like that, but in terms of it's a very strong message to people that it's an yeah. exclusive thing and it's not, it's not like sort of this endless well of service. It's really like if you want to work with us, we'll decide if it's the right project for us. And yeah. to be honest, there's a limit on how many people we can help. I think that's really yeah. cool to have that exclusivity and to know, I guess, to have a limit on what things you can um, sort of apply yourself to. 
Exactly. But I think it also keeps it fresh and it means I'm not just doing it for the sake of doing it. And it means also, I think like we try to wherever possible. So we have this kind of like mission ethos and values that's kind of sits, you can see on our website and all the rest of it. But we also have um, kind of like a side <laughs> uh, thing. And basically one of them is do not work with dickheads. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to uh, ask, I was going to yeah. ask if you had a no dickhead policy when you were talking about yeah, the, um, yeah. the Duke studios. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, they definitely say dickhead in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a great rule to have or a great sort yeah. of thing to have in the back of your mind. It's something that we've um, always tried to employ in our business as well. Yeah. So unless you're, so we have a, and then there's a sub thing that says, do not work with dickheads unless you're laughing all the way to the bank. And <laughs> um, oh, It's a and very so, good caveat. <laughs> yeah. So there's a dickhead tax. Basically, oh, if absolutely. you get and you seem like you're a dickhead, but we could do the work really quickly and get it out of the way and <laughs> be laughing and the, the invoice is 50% more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So then I just, again, and it's really good for me. I think it's the going back to using my hands and, and it's, it's kind of a bit like meditation, making jewelry. Um, it's that time where I listen to an audio book or, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's the, cre- I mean, with the jewelry, I'm in like flow, like that's me, like in that moment of, um, because I think that's a hands thing. Whereas with the interior design, it's kind of a bit more like project management. And I think it's quite interesting as well. I think I've learned again the other day, I was thinking I might phase out now my interior design projects to just be in one a year. Um, because I think that I, I think, uh, I think people think I'm crazy because I kind of like, I do, I kind of go through these phases of things. And um, obviously we keep the constant of Duke and Chief Street. And, but with my own personal practice, I don't ever want to be stuck in something. And I think like, so there was two years ago, I, I said I was stopping making um, hula. So I, I obviously Habitat still sells it, but I would not make it. And so you can't buy it from me anymore. And a lot of people thought I was crazy, but I was getting bored of making it. And every time an order came in, I was like, oh, I don't <laughs> want to do this. Yeah. And so I just thought, well, I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And um, and also I think with the interior design, I can pick it back up. I think that's a real good lesson in life to know that just because you say you're not going to do something now doesn't mean you can't do it in two or three years time it just means that you can you switch for a bit and then maybe when you come back to it your brain is even more rounded and so you you make better work later well I think that's incredible like to put that limit you know say you go from three to one interior yeah. design projects well how good is that one project going to be like it, exactly. you know, you're going to hold out until it's going to be an absolute cracker um, yeah, <laughs> like, it's not do, really worked out how I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah but, gonna be, but yeah. I think that's like whoever gets you for that would feel yeah. um, would feel quite special because they'd feel like, hey, I'm this is the only time I'm you know anyone this year is yeah. going to get Laura to work on this project. So that's really cool. Fingers crossed it goes well. How the frig am I going to know it's the right? <laughs> you, probably going to break my own rules. And you're going to have to like, make another formula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So before you mentioned about audiobooks, what are your what are your, some of your favorite books? 
Oh my gosh. So this is like a, a really hard one for me because I kind of listen to so much different stuff. Yeah. I quite recently listened to Bad Blood. Okay. By it's Bad Blood, Secret and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. And it's by the journalist uh, called John Carreyrou. And it's basically about um, a medical tech company that started and said that they could create this device to test blood. Um, but basically it was all lies. <laughs> oh, no. And she raised, she was incredible. This Like, not incredible, but she was like, she raised billions and millions and millions and billions of money, of, like, investment starts so it's basically the story of that and it kind of reads like a thriller mm. but it's a real story sounds like like a a more polished version of the fire festival or something like that yeah 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 <laughs> yeah basically but do you know when you just think i'm quite into kind of human psychology and yeah. um like watching people and learning about people and and that yeah so it was just really like interesting to kind of learn and also how it got discovered as well like if it wasn't for this journalist John Carreyrou then she probably would have continued she even had like Rupert Murdoch like all these crazy big people on her board and it's really like um yeah so bad blood secret awesome. and check it out yeah it's really cool and then another one um is um Sarah Pasca mm-hmm. Animals which is kind of like part autobiography um but also part um kind of a research of evolution of of women basically and talking about kind of why we do the things that we do, where does it come from, like how much this stuff is like internally built in um, that we can't even control. And, and so that is, was amazing as well. Um, it, I, honestly, I could literally sit here and list books all day. And do you go through sort of um, like personal development books and business books or and switch to fiction or novels? Do you sort of do both or...? I have at the moment, oh my God, it makes me, that makes me anxious. I have a book queue of about 20 books. I have In a problem. Audible? Of, of, um, no, of Audible, physical, like I always buy new books. I've got books on like, wait, I am like, I don't know if you know the Johnny Five reference, the, the film, but no. I love But at the moment, I can't, I can't read at the moment. Yep. Because um, I can't concentrate. Right. So I go through phases again where I will like intensely read and I will always be reading um, like in any kind of spare time. But I think the pandemic has made my, um, I was reading somewhere the other day about how basically our brains, the reason why our, uh, maybe some of us haven't got kind of like um, concentration or, um, uh, is that basically that, so if it like, do you know, like we're all feeling a bit like flaky or inconsistent or yeah. whatever, Yeah. that's because our brain doesn't know what news to brace for next. Yeah. Well, um, so we also don't know what's coming. And so like being more tired is because um, I think it's like your brain is burning your energy 10 times faster than normal because you're thinking all the time. Yeah. And, also, be, you can't focus because your brain has temporarily shut down some functionality in the prefrontal cortex, so the part that juggles complex complex tasks and planning yep. due to the stress response. So, like, I think that, um, like, I've not been able to really watch a lot of TV or read books or 
I'm so stuck in my phone. Mm. Um, and like constantly, I think like the pan, like the being in the house thing has switched the way that I think and act and do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so reading has been a bit off, but I did the same when I did my tactical recharge. I could yeah. only listen to books. Mm. Listening to books is great. Yeah. And so with all of the COVID, I mean, it's a lot more serious in the UK yeah. than it is in Australia. And it's a lot more, you know, it's created a much bigger impact. We're quite lucky here. You know, people start to talk about when things do go back to normal, you know, what the new normal will be. I was talking to someone today and we we're saying like, what are the things that, you know, might be different that or habits that we do now that become sort of new normal? It's really interesting because I was saying to somebody the other day, like that, it, that's interesting that you say that it's worse here than it is there. But I don't actually think that. So I think that people will be grateful. I think we'll be really grateful for kind of basic freedoms. I think we'll be really grateful to hug our friends. I think we'll be grateful to kind of have conversations at close with strangers and meet new people and to travel. And mm. But I think kind of day to day, it's quite interesting that. So I have a friend that was um, that lives in Italy. And at the beginning of this, like they were piling up bodies in the street and, you know, there was military and, you know, it was very much a visual, like, this is really, really bad. Like, you know, they were showing yeah. videos of people in hospitals and, you know, they really hammered home on media how bad it is. Whereas yeah. the UK really hasn't in our PR, they kind of talked about it, but you've not really seen those really hard hitting images. You've not, and so I think that the general public, I think, you know, it was, if, hmm, how do I say this without sounding like an absolute dick? Like basically a lot of people in the UK are stupid AF. And um, <laughs> I think that- Yeah, I think, um, I think you've nailed it there. I think there's no <laughs> really easy way of saying it. You know, yeah. there'll be a lot of things which will just return because I think that it hasn't been as bad visually. It has been bad, but you haven't, you've, we've kind of, kind of not- seen it and yeah, I don't think maybe protected and it hasn't forced that yeah, behavioral yeah. change yeah so there's a lot of people that have you know people just when I you go out and like people are hanging around really close together and you're like you stupid idiots like what <laughs> are you doing like this yeah. is really bad and you know and you see people wearing masks but they're not wearing them over their noses and and so I think that maybe I don't know whether if, if the government doesn't sort it shit out here, that there might be a second peak. Mm. Um, and so I think that, I think if I'm being hope, and that was kind of like a pessimist thing. Yeah, a realist thing. But I think that, um, I think the carrying the things forward, I think it's just more, we will be grateful, basically. I think that, um, I really do hope that, we do think about, we consider more um, our carbon footprint and, you know, the climate and how do we do things differently and do we need to, you know, be, are we, I was thinking a lot about Duke and, you know, why do, we can do this. Like you and I are talking, I think this has been a really great point as well of kind of going, I can just ask that person in the UK if they want to come and talk to me. Yeah. I can I can make a connection and make a link. And, and I think um, 
the trying things. So I think it what and it's it's my kind of way of working anyway. But that thing of going, ah, oh, fuck it, it's a pandemic. Let's just try it. Yeah. You know, you started this in a pan. You know, you were like, oh, I can do this now. Yeah. And so I, I think that um, that thing of it doesn't have to be perfect. You can just put something out and learn from it. Not yeah, everything completely. needs to be this super polished. You know, just put it out. If it doesn't work, then change it um, and do it things in the live. So I hope more people do that. And um, I think also just that thing of maybe we could be thinking about, so I've, I've coined a new phrase in this and it's that we need to think globally, but stay locally. Yeah. Basically. I like that. I was thinking about potentially things that could change. And I, I thought, you know, I think it's um, optimistic to think, you know, lots of big things will change. I think a lot of it will snap back to normal. I thought yeah. one thing that would be great if it did change is just people not going to work if they were sick. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't yeah. know about the UK, but like in Australia, it's like you just have this like soldier on mentality of like yeah, you might yeah. have the flu or a cold and you just like push on, head into the office and get the rest of the office sick. And I think like yeah. if one good thing could come out of this whole thing, it'd That's be like really if you're sick, yeah. just stay the fuck at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think actually that will happen, you know. And I was thinking about this the day again about kind of I was watching um, something on Netflix and someone passed some, they were wait, sitting in a waiting room next to each other. They coughed in their hand and then they passed chewing <laughs> oh, um, like gum or something. You're yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that's not. So I kind of feel worried about that. I feel worried about how, especially running a venue, mm. how people will be around each other yeah, and how afraid everyone will be of each other. Um, but I really do hope that, that again, yeah, that's a really good point and not, it's a simple, that is such a simple simple thing I had to go to the hospital um I've been twice in the last few weeks because I, I fell off a ladder <laughs> two weeks before this oh, no. me to die. and basically should have broken both of my legs but I didn't luckily but Shit. I've had all of I know I've had all of the side well it, this project wouldn't have happened the posters one if I hadn't <laughs> been having to sit down for four weeks so um and so but I had my legs haven't been right and I was <laughs> And last week I was wondering if I was going to have to design my own um, prosthetic leg. So I thought, right, oh, I better God. go to the hospital instead of worrying yeah. about it. And so basically I'm a really slow healer. Mm. Uh, but I was talking to the doctor and she said, I just really hope everybody remembers this in winter that yeah. actually, you know, coming in with the cold, you know, stay away from each other, stay in. Like, so she kind of was saying the same is that she just hopes yeah that when you get ill in this kind of way you stay away from each other instead of just coming to work and doing so she said exactly the same thing really yeah. I think that's what I'm yeah. hopeful for yeah well Laura I mean in closing I mean thank you so much for being so generous with your time thank you so much I'm, sorry if it's been I can't no. we've gone all the time as well no, no, I'm, hey I'm when you started mentioning that you have an attention span that lasts sort of 30 to 40 minutes that was about 39 yeah. minutes I was like shit I might lose oh, it here yeah. um, but no you've been great <laughs> I was going to ru- <laughs> rush the end to just like get the closing questions before <laughs> before you go on to the yeah. next project. Yeah, no, um, no, you've been, it's been awesome to chat with you. But we have a few closing questions. So who's someone yeah. remarkable that you know that we should speak to? So I think that you should talk to Morag Myerskoff. And Morag is the artist, the first artist which I worked with on this project. She's absolutely incredible and um, a little bit bonkers, but she's so, she's so <laughs> lovely. And her work is just amazing and 
um, I interviewed her at the beginning of this and she's just got really interesting interesting in life and she is remarkable yeah great well I'll um yeah I'd love to chat to her yeah, with her. and what's your favorite quote or the best piece of advice you've ever been given of many but I just think like keep on keeping on basically and <laughs> yeah, do whatever awesome. yeah do whatever you do to the don't worry about what other people are doing so that was James and it's from James my partner um when there was another co-working but in the, in the beginning I was like oh, there's another co-working space starting Leeds and he's like we just need to keep on keeping on doing the best that we do do not care what anyone else is doing just make sure whatever you do is done to the best of your abilities and, and with soul and so it's that really I love that and finally where can people learn more about you Oh God. So I need to really sort my website out because I'm not really <laughs> sure um, how, yeah, but I think, um, so you just head to Instagram and Laura Welly with an I, uh, and, um, and that has all the top links there apart from, uh, because Instagram didn't give me enough room <laughs> for, all the, <laughs> for all the projects, <laughs> <laughs> for all the things that I do. So, and then, so yeah, so Laura Welly with an I, and that has all the links and then um, you can see about Duke Makes at Duke Makes and Revel Jewelry. Well, thanks again for being so generous with your time and Thank uh, you so all much the best. And you. I'm looking forward to seeing Ronnie Wood's art on, uh, yeah, on yeah. some chocolate. Oh, it's Ronnie Wood also. I called her, kept saying Ronnie Woods the other day, and I was like, oh, shit, it's not, it's Ronnie Wood. Yeah. Ronnie, but it is Ronnie Wood's art. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Thanks, Thank Laura. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Someone Remarkable. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your network. To support us, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. To learn more about us or the guests on this show, visit dsrb.com.au slash podcast. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. We hope that this episode has inspired you to think differently.